So here's John the Baptist, greatest prophet ever, but he points to Christ and he says, listen to him, listen to him. His teaching is infinitely superior. His knowledge is not secondhand. His power is infinite. Get it straight from the source. Cut out the middleman. Cut out the prophets. Listen to him. Listen to the potentate himself, Jesus Christ. You know, when Christ spoke, even his enemies said, (laughs) never man spake like this man. Of course not. He is Lord of all. He is King of kings. He is the master of the universe. He is in a class all by himself. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bible squeeze at this time and turn to the Gospel of John and the third chapter. John chapter 3. We have an expression in our our English culture, and uh, we say if uh, somebody has no, no rival, no comparison, no equal, that they are in a class by themselves. You've heard that expression before. They're in a class all by themselves. Well, we're going to take a look at Christ today in a class all by himself. And we're going to finish up this chapter with about a half a dozen verses here. Beginning in verse number 31, we find John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. That he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, we're going to be talking today about the Lord Jesus Christ in a class of his own, in a class of his own. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for our precious Savior. We thank you that he took on a body. He came to this earth. He shed blood on a cross to pay for our sins and atone for us. And Father, everything he did from the start to finish, even in eternity past and in eternity future, places him in a class of his own. May we Be helped by thee and thy spirit today to see this Christ. We pray and ask it now in his precious name. Amen. If you learn history in grade school like I did, you've heard of the Louisiana Purchase. It took place, um, Jefferson was president at the time, his early 1800s, maybe 1803, 1804. And he sent an expedition out west to explore what we had purchased. And the head of it was Lewis and Clark. And we've all heard of Lewis and Clark, right? And they took with them some real pioneer kind of guys, some real mountain men, some real rugged, tough guys. But probably no tougher was the man John Coulter. My wife and I watched a documentary on this man here recently. I'm telling you, it was absolutely fascinating. The story of what even his exploits were on on the Lewis and Clark expedition were uh, legendary. And it was an incredible story of survival and human endurance. And the historian being interviewed about him said this about John Coulter. He said there'd never been anyone like him. He was in a class by himself. 
and certainly was. Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in a class all by himself. And with that, we speak of his superiority. There's never been anyone like him, a class of his own. And, and he is set apart from any other powerful figure who's ever lived, any famous figure who's ever lived. You know, they had a list of the 100 most influential people of all time. And on this list, you'll find names like Churchill, you'll find names like Edison, you'll find names like Roosevelt and Darwin and Einstein, and uh, uh, Bill Gates is on there, and Martin Luther King Jr. is on there, and I, uh, Isaac Newton is on there. But let me just say this. They took Christ and they sprinkled him somewhere amongst that list. And what sheer folly. Honestly, if you took that entire list and you combined them together and you multiplied it times a zillion, it would not even begin to compare with this one who's in a class all by himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, on a list all by himself. And we find that here in this passage. In fact, we see what I call, first of all, the flagrant difference. The flagrant difference between Christ and, in this case, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was no slouch. In fact, Jesus himself said, of those born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Imagine being labeled by God the Son, the greatest man who ever lived. And so here's the greatest prophet ever talking. And he's comparing himself to Christ. And you'll notice in verse 31, John says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthy and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Now, what's John's point here? Well, it's simple. John's disciples were having a tough time with Jesus becoming more famous and Jesus' followers becoming more famous. And so they had made the ministry of John and Jesus a rivalry, a competitive thing, if you can imagine how carnal that is, but it's nothing new. Um, in fact, the church at Corinth in the New Testament was doing the same thing. Remember that little bout where one guy was saying, well, I'm a Paul, the other, well, I'm a Peter. Well, I'm of uh, Apollos. Well, I'm of Jesus. And, and they had this dumb little rivalry going, and that's how the world operates, friend. But that's not how believers operate, is it? We don't jockey for position and preeminence, do we? We are told to die to self, right? To be nobodies, to fade for the greater good. In fact, why do we serve the Lord? We serve the Lord for His glory, right? We serve the Lord for His pleasure. That's what Revelation 4.11 says. And so that will help you to remember that if you are ever overlooked in the service of the king. Because let me just say, we've all been overlooked, haven't we? We've all been ignored. We've all been underappreciated. We've all been unnoticed and passed over and not honored when we should have been honored. But you know what? That's life, isn't it? I mean, that's just life. Here's John the Baptist. He was not threatened by the success of another, Christ in this case. In fact, contraire, he rejoiced in the fact Christ was going up and he was going down. And he said, this my joy is fulfilled. Now notice what John added here in the same chapter, verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except be given him from heaven. What's he saying there? Well, if you get any promotion, if you get any kudos, if you get any attaboy or any recognition, just take it as from God, because it's God that does that. A man can receive nothing except to be given from God. In fact, that's what the psalmist said. In Psalm 75, he said, for promotion cometh neither from the east or from the west nor from the south, 
But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Isn't that an interesting perspective? It's an essential perspective. If you are a Christian, you need to remember, if you get noticed, if you get recognized, if you get promoted, that's God. Otherwise, you're going to get overlooked and you're going to get bitter. Please be more spiritual than that. Remember, if there's a promotion, it comes from God. And on top of that, you know what? It's not about titles. It's not about positions. It's not about honor and recognition. It's about bringing him glory. And let your joy be all about bringing him glory. That's what brought John joy, serving the Lord. It wasn't the kudos. It wasn't the honor. In fact, let me just say this honestly. It's better on reward day in heaven if you get unnoticed while you're down here. You follow me? It will go better for you on that day if you're willing to wait, if you, came, if you went unnoticed down here. You know, the Pharisees like to be noticed down here. And so if, if they gave any alms or tithe, they sounded a trumpet. How loserish is that? Can you imagine? Do-do-do-do, I just gave some money. Or if they prayed, they did it on street corners, waiting to be noticed by somebody. And you know what Jesus said about them? He said, verily, (laughs) they have their reward, okay? They got it down here. Now, if you're willing to wait, guess what? It's a hundredfold up there, a hundredfold. Please be willing to wait. A spiritual child of God wants Jesus to get all the glory anyway. Him all the preeminence anyway. That's what John the Baptist wanted. It wasn't about trying to compete with Jesus and the apostles. In fact, in verse 31, here is what he said. He said of Christ, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth, talking about himself, is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Now he reminds us here that Christ was not of this earth. He reminds us here that Jesus Christ came from above. He's not of this world. I read on Fox News yesterday that somebody called 911 frantic about the fact they'd seen an an eight-foot extraterrestrial out in their yard, an alien. And apparently there were witnesses. And you say, what is out there, Pastor? What is it that cometh from above? Are there really aliens? Let me just say this. Sounds like a lot of demonic activity to distract people from the truth. You ever thought about that? Just stick with the Bible. But there are, there are those that are from above. We have angels that come from above. But the Lord Jesus Christ came from above. And by the way, you say, Pastor, where's heaven? It's from above. We connect a few dots. He came from above. That's where heaven is. I'm not sure where exactly it is up, but I know that when he finished his mission on this earth, he ascended where? Up. So it's up someplace. And we find here, John the Baptist said, uh, he that cometh from above, meaning Jesus Christ, is different from anyone born on this earth. That puts Jesus Christ in a class all by himself. Muhammad did not come from above. Buddha did not come from above. Mary, worshipped by millions, did not come from above. Jesus cometh from above. Now, look again in verse number 31. Something interesting about that wording. He that cometh from above is above all. That expression from above, it means exactly what we saw in verse 3 of the same chapter. He that is born again, meaning born from above. You can look it up in a Greek concordance. It's the exact same wording. And it's a reminder to us that salvation is of God. Salvation comes from above. Salvation 
is of the Lord. Never forget that direction because sometimes we, as Christian people, think we got to get them saved. We got to win them to the Lord. But it's not up to us. Remember what the Bible says. Salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. And so you are born from above, born again. And if you're here today, if you're listening somewhere and you've never been born again, if you're listening, friend, as a lost person, I'm here to tell you, you can't muster up something to get you saved. You can't work it up. You can't pray through. The best thing you could do is seek the Lord because I have a promise from God. The Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Or you come, you come after him, he'll come after you. In other words, God will do a work in your heart if you seek him. Trust him to do that. But remember this. You can't make yourself get saved. And there are a lot of people who made professions of faith. There are a lot of people who've turned over a new leaf and gotten more spiritual. Friend, you have got to be born from above. It's a supernatural act of God. That's the heavenly origin of the new birth. It is from above. It's not a man-made emotion. There are a lot of people who've had a, an emotional, spiritual experience. They have never been converted, never been born again. And so it comes from above. Now, John talks about he that is from above is above all. But he goes on in verse 31 and he says, he that is of the earth is earthly. It's earthly. That expression of the earth has actually been found three times in this passage by John. I don't know if you've noticed that. He reminds his disciples, we are of the earth. And isn't that true? We are of the earth. We are made from the earth. Did you know that according to Genesis? We came from the dust of the ground. And they tell us the same elements or chemicals you find in a clot of dirt, you find in the human body as well. We are of the earth. We had our roots on this earth. We were born on the earth, but not Jesus Christ in the sense of when he had his beginning. He's always existed. In eternity past, he did not have an earthly beginning. He only came to this earth and he took on a human body at that time. But he made it very clear he's not from planet earth. Now, we have a lot of prophets who wrote books of the Bible, the Moseses and the Malachi's and the Davids and, and the Daniels and Isaiah's and Jeremiah's, but they were of the earth. They were men like us. They had human limitations, and here's where their limitations were. They had never been to heaven. Now, follow me very carefully on this. They never had been to heaven. But we find in verse 31... John says at the end, he that cometh from heaven is above all. He had full knowledge of everything heavenly because he came from heaven. He is infinitely above us all because he's not of this world. He's God, we are men. He's sovereign, we are sinners. Uh, we're mortals, he is immortal. He's totally different. And the origin of Jesus was not on this earth. In fact, he had a name before he came to this world. We know him as Jesus Christ, don't we? But before he was Jesus Christ, he had a title. You know what that title was? He was the Word. We're told in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here he is in eternity past, known as the Word, but he only took on flesh to come to this earth and be born in Bethlehem. And that's when deity and humanity met, and they meshed, and they were combined. Now, 
Jesus Christ is 100% God. But Jesus Christ is also 100% human. And you say, Pastor, that doesn't, that doesn't work. I know. Not in our minds, not in our finite minds, our feeble minds, but Christ is 100% God and 100% man, and that is a total mystery beyond human comprehension. And that's what it's called. Paul said, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. God was manifest in the flesh, or made evident in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. Now here it is, the resume of Christ, very descriptive. He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then he went back to heaven. He was received up into glory. But notice his title at the beginning, God. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was 100% human in every respect, but he was not merely human. He was the God-man. He was in a class by himself. He had no beginning. And by the way, the cults teach that he had a beginning. The cults teach that. They knock on your door with that stuff. But the Bible is clear. And by the way, one of the reasons I believe that the Melchizedek of Genesis, the Melchizedek of the Old Testament, was the Lord Jesus Christ making a theophany or a Christophany, meaning an appearance, one of the reasons I believe Melchizedek of the Old Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ is the fact they are both mentioned as never having a beginning. Every human being has had a beginning, but not Christ. And the Bible says this in Hebrews 7 of Melchizedek, without father, <clears throat> without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. And he does. He is the eternal king of Salem, Jerusalem, as we know. And he will rule and he will reign there during the millennium. That's the God-man. Now, back here in our text, verse 32, John goes on. Speaking of Christ, he says, and what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. Now, don't miss this. Jesus Christ came from heaven, right? We've established that already. So that makes any information he brings with him about heaven and that which is beyond, it makes that testimony firsthand. Follow me carefully here. And, and John mentions in verse 32, and what he, Christ, hath seen, that is, in heaven and heard, that he testifieth. You know, that is the, the hallmark of an impeccable witness is they're able to say, I saw it and I heard it. Isn't that true? That makes him an impeccable witness. Well, we find here that he hath seen and he hath heard all, all of this stuff in heaven. Now, here's a prophet like John the Baptist. Where did he get his message? He got it from God. And you could say, well, John's kind of secondhand then. But Jesus was God. And so what he brings from heaven and testifies, he's seen it, he's heard it, this is the first-hand witness. He didn't have to get it from God, he is God. You follow me? It's a, it's a first-hand account of what's true out there. You know, I've taken missionary trips overseas, and I've spoken through an interpreter. Any of you ever had to speak through an interpreter? I absolutely hate it. I call it an interrupter. <laughs> They're not an interpreter. You have to stop and uh, wait what they say. It's a pain in the neck. It, you'd rather get it straight from the horse's mouth, right? Well, here's Jesus Christ with the first 
hand account of what's out there. And he, he testified of what he had seen and what he had heard. You see that found again in verse 32. In other words, this is a first-hand account of, of what's out there supernaturally. And Jesus Christ had seen it. And in fact, he had, he had created it. You know, when Christ walked this earth, I love this, he verified a number of things. He, he came along and he said, you know, you, you fellas talk about the fall of Satan. I was there. I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Remember where he said that? And there he is talking about something he saw. You know, he also said this in John 14. In my father's house, now that's heaven, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So here he comes from heaven. He said, look, uh, from where I came from, <laughs> there's, there's a mansion prepared for each of you. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Did you read this last week where um, the Hollywood celebrity Arnold Schwarzenegger was being interviewed by Howard Stearns? Oh, good, right? So uh, Howard Stearns asked him about supernatural things. And, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, he said, I, I believe that heaven is a fantasy. Heaven is a fantasy. Now, here's somebody who's never been there. He didn't believe in the afterlife. He, in fact, he added, when you die, that's it. You're dead. And his point was, make the most of this life because this life is all you're going to get. There's no heaven. He said that is a fantasy. You can Google that. That's a quote. My question to Arnold is, how do you know that? Have you been there? And the answer would be no. Then be quiet. You are not an expert on this, right? You are clueless about what you're talking about. Jesus Christ has been there. And by the way, Jesus Christ says it's real. And furthermore, Jesus Christ has the credentials to say it's real. He rose from the dead. And there are hundreds of people who witness that. And so he has the credentials. And by the way, many of those witnesses died for that truth. It was real. And so no heaven is not a fantasy. Now, Hollywood, that's a fantasy, right? Okay, but heaven is real. Jesus Christ said so. And he came from heaven, and now he's giving us some first-hand knowledge. He's testifying of what he has seen and what he has heard. He didn't get it through the grapevine. He didn't read it somewhere. This is what is up there. And, and so here's Christ. He comes to this earth, and he speaks about a lot of things that people deny to this day. You know, there are those who deny that the world was ever underwater in the flood of Noah, and they call that a fairy tale. You know that Christ said that was real? Uh, there are those who say that the whole thing about Jonah being swallowed by the whale is, is a, a big fish story. No, Jesus Christ talked about that as something that really happened, and he had the credentials. He saw it happen. You know, Christ talked about the destruction of, of Sodom, and there's a whole lot of controversy today about uh, sodomy. Christ comes along and says, God destroyed a civilization because of that sin. And so we could talk about some of these things. By the way, in Luke 16, Christ tells us there's a literal hell. That's giving that all the credential it needs. Somebody says, well, I don't believe in a literal hell. So Jesus said it's real. So it really doesn't matter what you think or believe or say. It doesn't make it go, to, go away. Jesus Christ said it's real. He knows, he testifies of it, but tragically, in verse number 32, look at this. It says, and what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, but no man receiveth his testimony. That's astonishing to me. He's, he's been there, 
He testifies it's real. He's an eyewitness. He's heard it. And yet there are those who call Jesus Christ a liar. Even though he was there, even though he knows it firsthand, this wasn't just an angel or a prophet saying it. We find out in verse 32, it was he that testified of it. And that's the reason that the foolish say there's no heaven or there's no afterlife. The last part of verse 32 says, no man receiveth his testimony. The unsaved, the unbeliever does not believe it. Calls it a fairy tale and a fantasy because they don't get it. And of course the Bible says that's how it works. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, but the natural man, that's the unsaved man, receiveth not. That means he doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So he says it's foolishness. Uh, he doesn't get it. He can't get it, because he is spiritually dead. And so here's Christ, according to John the Baptist in verse 32, what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, yet no man receiveth his testimony. They reject it. Now, friend, that doesn't change the truth, all right? Sadly, the eternal destiny of those who reject it will be the lake of fire. But thankfully, thankfully, there are exceptions to that. Notice in verse 33, he goes on. He that hath received his testimony hath set to a seal that God is true. That's those who accept the gospel. Is that you, friend? Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Have you accepted the testimony of the Son of God? Notice of that person, verse 33 says, he that hath received his testimony, notice this expression, hath set to his seal that God is true. That's interesting. Set to a seal. What's that talking about? The idea here is the official sealing of a legal document it's 100% authentic, and that's what salvation is. And when you receive it, you know it's real. So we find here John the Baptist kind of trying to squelch the concern of his followers and saying, fellas, there's a big difference between me and him. I'm of the earth. He's above. I'm earthly. He's celestial. I'm terrestrial. I had a beginning. He's lived forever. And we see the flagrant difference. But secondly, we see the Father's devotion. Now, in verse 34, John goes on. He says, For he, speaking of Christ, whom God has sent, speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now, in no way did the humanity of Jesus Christ impair him being filled 100% with the Spirit of God. He came to this earth, he took on a body, but he's still 100% God, and he's 100% filled with the Spirit of God. Remember he was conceived of the Holy Spirit? Remember that he was indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Remember that he was filled with the Holy Spirit? And so we find out in verse 34, for whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. How could he do that? How could he do that? It's real simple. He is God. When he opens his mouth, it's God talking. He speaketh the words of God. Jesus and God are one and the same. Do you believe in the Trinity? I don't fully understand it, but I believe in the Trinity. We have one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here's God the Son. When he speaketh, he speaketh the words 
of God. Now notice in verse 34 at the end. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. Now, you and I pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't we? We should. I ask God daily to fill me with the Holy Spirit. We talk about the fillings of the Holy Spirit. There are various levels, if you will, as human beings of being filled with the Spirit. Did you know that before I ever preach, did you know that before I ever approach a sacred desk, I ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit? I actually quote Isaiah 61 to myself in a whisper, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And that's what I'm getting up to do. And so I ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit because we need it. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's given to us in measure. Did you know that? Let me give you a verse. In Ephesians 4, 7, the Bible says, but unto every one of us, is given grace, that's the gift, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So here we are pleading with God to fill us with the Spirit of God that He might work through us, through His Spirit. But Jesus was a different story altogether. He was in a class all by Himself. And the Bible says in Colossians 2.9, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How much more of the Spirit can God have than 100%? He's the source of the Spirit. Now, here's John the Baptist, all right? We find out in Luke chapter 1 that he was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And he was. Don't ask me to explain that. We talked about that back at Christmas. But here's John the Baptist later on having a lapse in being filled with the Spirit, isn't he? Here's John the Baptist hitting such a low point in his life where he sends disciples to Christ just before the end. And he says, are you he that should come or should we look for another? Are you really the Messiah? Did I get it wrong? Was there static in the line? And, and we find John not so filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. Have you ever had times when you weren't really as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit the way you should be? Or am I the only one? I'm telling you, we understand what this is all about. But Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. That puts him in a category all by himself. Now notice in verse number 35 here. Oh, before we move on, let me show you that. Isaiah 11, we find it talking of Christ, and it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's what makes Jesus Christ different. 100% filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in a class all by himself. He's a source of truth, and he's totally filled with the Spirit. And you say, well, what's the reason for that? Well, we read on in verse 35. John says, the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. The Father loveth the Son. Can you imagine the love between the Father and the Son? Between Jesus Christ and his heavenly Father. Can you, can you imagine what that love was like? We'd drown in that love. Can you imagine what that relationship is like? Well, in verse 35, John says, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He's given them everything. And that's what the Bible teaches. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, For he, the Father, hath put all things under his, the Son's, feet. Here's Christ lording over everything. And we find that Christ has all power, all preeminence. 
In fact, the, one of the last words we find from the lips of Christ before he goes back to heaven are found in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Can you imagine control of the whole universe? That puts him in a class all by himself. Here's what Peter said of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And so his supremacy is clear. We find here, I said, first of all, the flagrant difference. Secondly, the Father's devotion. But sadly and finally, we find what I call a fatal denial. John the Baptist concludes his dialogue with a very, very chilling warning in just one verse, the last verse of this chapter. Verse 36, John said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Folks, that's pretty cut and dried, isn't it? Pretty cut and dried. He says, he that believeth not. I mean, it's either one or the other. You either believe or you don't believe. It really begs the question, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. You know, there are some folks and they claim there are various ways of of getting to God. It doesn't matter if it's a Hindu way. It doesn't matter if it's a Buddhist way. It doesn't matter if it's a Muslim way. As long as you're sincere. I heard a clergyman describe it like a bicycle wheel who said, God is that hub in the middle and all those spokes coming to the hub just represent different ways of getting to God. And that sounds really nice, doesn't it? But it's an absolute lie. John the Baptist comes along and says, no, no, no. It's, it's one or the other. Notice again verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know, you can be sincere and believe in something else, but you can be sincerely wrong. And we find a lot of people on Judgment Day, according to Christ in Matthew 7, saying, but Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that, we did the other thing. And Christ says, I never knew you. So it's really very cut and dried. There's only one way. By the way, there's a very famous celebrity by the name of Oprah who said, it doesn't matter what you believe. There's, there's many hundreds of ways out there to get to God. No, we find the greatest prophet of all time tell us clearly, you believe on the Son, you have everlasting life. You believe not the Son, the wrath of God abideth on you. Now, we don't hear much about the wrath of God today, do we? It's not popular preaching. And the average preacher won't touch it. It's, it's not part of the relevant movement the emerging movement here. And, and yet we would be dishonest with the scriptures if we didn't show people what the Bible had to say about the wrath of God. In Colossians 3, it mentions some despicable things and it says, for which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So the Bible does speak of the wrath of God. Now in this very chapter, in verse 16, we saw that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's no question that God loves the world. But the God of love is also the God of justice. Never forget that. Sin must be punished. And this verse over my back here speaks of some sins, and it says, for which things sake the wrath of God 
cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, let me just say this about God's wrath, all right? It's a sanctified wrath. It's a righteous wrath. The wrath of God is a, a just wrath, but it's a passionate wrath. It's a controlled wrath. It's a deliberate wrath. It's, it's even a measured wrath. We find in the book of the Revelation, the cup of God's wrath filling up. And at a certain point, it, it spills over. But the wrath of God is totally justified. It, it's completely consistent with his character. And it's completely consistent with his love. But the Bible speaks of the wrath of God. That expression is found a number of times uh, in the book of the Revelation alone. Now, how do you face this wrath? Well, verse 36 tells us, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God. Romans 1.18 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they know better. They have a Bible, but they blow it off. Now, we find here John the Baptist is trying to drive home the fact you can't bypass Christ in the process of getting to heaven. You'll, you'll face wrath. Now, let me just say this. No Orthodox Jew would deny God. But don't miss John's point. These Orthodox Jews of that time basically were trying to get to God with bypassing Jesus Christ, and you cannot do that. To reject submitting to Jesus is to reject God, the Father, altogether. And a lot of cults do this. But there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ according to his own words. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Christ laid it out. John laid it out. Two stark choices. In verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There's only two choices for the lost sinner. And we sing that song, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, friend? Because there is one thing there is one thing that God cannot and will not forgive, and that is to treat Christ with contempt, with disbelief, or even indifference. Have you truly made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, the Lord of your life? Jesus put it this way, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. There it is. Well, Thus ends the dialogue of John the Baptist to his followers. Uh, we don't hear from him anymore in the Gospel of John. But according to Christ, he is the, the G-O-A-T. He is the greatest of all time as far as prophets go. And here's John's disciples, and they're looking at Jesus as a rival. And, and they're coming to John, and they're saying, Boss, that guy's taking away our crowds. And, and John says, wait, 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 wait. Do you realize who you're talking about here? He's from above. We're earthly here. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's in a class all by himself. Don't let that body fool you. That is God walking around there. He's the creator of the universe. And I will happily decrease while he increases. I wasn't even worthy to baptize him. I wasn't worthy to loose his sandals. And, and John the Baptist makes it clear. Jesus Christ 
is superior. He is sovereign. He reigns over the whole universe today. Imagine having the creator and the sustainer and the controller on earth with us here to show us everything, what truth is. He came from heaven. He gives us a firsthand account of everything. And we get to hear it from the the source himself. Now, the Old Testament times, God spoke through men known as prophets. And the Bible says in Hebrews 1 that God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, notice, hath in these last days, thank God for this, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he hath made the world. How much greater can you get than that? He is in a class by himself. So here's John the Baptist, greatest prophet ever, but he points to Christ and he says, listen to him, listen to him. His teaching is infinitely superior. His knowledge is not secondhand. His power is infinite. Get it straight from the source. Cut out the middleman, cut out the prophets. Listen to him, listen to the potentate himself, Jesus Christ. You know, when Christ spoke, even his enemies said, (laughs) never man spake like this man. Of course not. He's in a class by himself. Well, this is the end of the incredible ministry of John the Baptist, as far as we can follow him here in this gospel. We know he is the forerunner of the Messiah. He came, he did his job. But shortly after this, we know he's imprisoned for calling out Herod on his ungodliness. And then he is beheaded. But John made one thing clear before he left us. And I'm so thankful for that. Before he left the gospel of John forever, you heard from the greatest prophet ever. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. He is Lord of all. He is King of kings. He's the master of the universe. He's in a class all by himself. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.